and the DLF family of podcasts. That's Tommy B. I'm the SFD, and this is the Super Flex Super Show, and here we go. Standard operating procedures for week two, because we have a full week in the books. The NFL season of the fantasy football season. Now we've got some information to go off of, Tommy. We can finally these we can these these standard operating procedures just kind of take on a whole different life once these players get on the field. Some of them perform well, some of them suck, some of them get hurt. <laughs> we've got a all of a sudden we've got a totally different perspective. Yeah, I think the information that we've gained, or at least that I've gained, is that everything is awful, right? All of our favorite <laughs> tight ends are hurt. Scoring was down this week. I'm more confused than ever, to be honest with you. And so what I'm going to try to do for the Super Friends today is just lead them in a direction that I'm headed using stats, using the best information that we have, because there is still no certainty in week one. This is still so muddied and confusing to me, and we're just getting started. All of that, plus uh, we fully intend to get into some strategy talk today as well. Um, and and I don't know for sure what you've got for us on that. We'll find out when we get there, but it uh, I don't know if it, I can't even tell you if it's redraft or dynasty focused or both or so yeah, we'll, we'll let's run through our standard operating procedures so that we can get to that part this week. Just some players to make sure they're rostered, and if they're not, to me these are top priority guys uh, on waivers this week. Uh, one at each position, as always, and then I'm I'm also throwing in a uh, a bonus running back for you. So Baker Mayfield at quarterback, man, like for a minute there, I had I had. Uh, Kyle Trask is a is a priority add this week because Baker Mayfield looked awful to start the week, but uh, by the by the second half he was right on track. Very good weapons. He should definitely be rostered in superflex leagues. I think he's got a pretty good hold on that starting job. Roshan Johnson, a, a favorite of the Super Show, and he ends up being heavily involved in the Chicago backfield. Kenny Gainwell, by the way. There's your bonus running back who not only was heavily involved. I mean, he pretty much dominated the running back usage, the running back workload for the Philadelphia Eagles. Nico Collins, a wide receiver, easily the top pass catcher for Houston. It's just kind of not even close. And then Hunter Henry, uh, pretty sneaky, sneaky good game for the New England Patriots at tight end. Um, uh, rendering uh, Mike Jasicki completely just just uh, basically useless for fantasy purposes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if these players are on your waiver wire, it's probably in redraft. Um, spend heavily. I'm curious what you would spend, John, because all of these players showed that they have a clear path to production. Yeah, I think a lot of these guys start at 25%. Uh, and, you know, I think Kenny Gainwell probably takes more than that. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think 25% probably gets you all of these guys, except for Gainwell for him. I think you got to plan on more like 35%. That's, that's my feeling. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, to a, a lesser note, we've got all sorts of ads that I'm going to run down real quick because we want to give you as many options as possible. 
and give you the flexibility to add and drop um, as your league allows. So at quarterback, you added this guy to the to the ads list and you said starter, whatever. And that <laughs> perfectly encapsulates Josh Dobbs, right? He is someone you can plug into your lineup, it seems. He's not going to move the needle, but you can certainly get him on the on the waiver wire in a lot of leagues. And we're recording right now while Monday Night Football is going on. And Aaron Rodgers just went down a few minutes ago. So we are unclear about the severity of that ankle injury. Uh, keep an eye on Zach Wilson. There's a possibility that he is also on your waiver wire. Shifting to running back, Kyron Williams just absolutely exploded and stiff-armed Cam Akers to the sideline as well. Um, we had an injury, unfortunately, to J.K. Dobbins over in Baltimore. Uh, and it just... Uh, it broke my heart. Hurts. My heart sank. My wife actually texted me because she loves J.K. Dobbins as well. Um, but fantasy waits for no one, right? So there's two backup running backs um, that were thrust into prominent roles. Those are Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. Are they going to do anything for you? That's debatable. But any warm body at the running back position, right? Josh Kelly was actually pretty incredible um, considering our expectations for him. He is the running back for the LA Chargers. And with Austin Eckler uh, potentially on the shelf next week, he may shift into that priority ad uh, list. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think about him. And Tajay Spears actually ran with the starters in the first series with the Tennessee Titans. So he's a very interesting running back as well. What do you think of those guys? Uh, man, r- yeah, running back is tough. This is going it, to, it, it's, we really wanted to just kind of run through the ads, but it's going to take a little bit of analysis here, a little bit of critical and strategic thinking, I think, because so Ty J Spears, Tennessee is pretty one dimensional with Derrick Henry on the field. Basically when he comes on the field, the defense knows that he's getting the ball. Ty J Spears kind of gives you a dynamic that wasn't already there. So I, that's, a big part of why they gave him so much usage. Kyron Williams, it's primarily in the passing game so far, but he looked better on early downs than Cam Akers as well. Like this is, it feels like it's his backfield. It feels like it's Ty J Spears backfield for the most part with a little bit of Derrick Henry kind of sprinkled in still. Uh, Josh Kelly, um, like you said, if Austin Eckler were to miss time, that's Josh Kelly's backfield. So like we're looking at potential starters and then obviously the two Baltimore guys, this is one I have a tough time with. And I'm kind of curious if you have thoughts as well. Um, Because like historically Gus Edwards has been the guy, right? But they split that workload once Dobbins went out right down the middle, Justice Hill gets to two touchdowns. So I think people are probably going to prioritize him, and I think you're probably going to have to pay a little more to get him. But I don't even know that I feel strongly about that because, again, Gus Edwards has been number two on the depth chart and arguably 1B for years now. So, man, like, yeah, how do, how are you breaking down that backfield? Are you targeting either of those guys in particular? Are you just willing to get what you get? Are you staying away completely? Yeah, it's like improv for me. I just say yes and. Um, I want any of them. Whichever of any of these running backs I can get cheaply and can sit on the back of my roster until I have a little more clarity about what we're doing. Let's get into priorities in just a second because I've got some wide receivers I want to talk about. 
And then we have to get into the tight end position as well. So at wide receiver, Josh Reynolds with the, with the Detroit Lions, he had a pretty good day in week one, um, as did Zay Jones. Um, Robert Woods was a surprise to me with the 10th most routes run in the entire league and a 23% target share. Allen Robinson, uh, what is dead may never die. He's just, he keeps getting targets. He keeps running routes. He's not very good, but we don't care about good or bad. We care about points, right? Kendrick Bourne, somebody has to catch passes in New England, and it turns out he's the guy who did it in week one. And then the golden child, perhaps of all dynasty in week one, is Puka Nakua. I mean, he was incredible. Uh, apparently, you don't need to know his name, Matt Stafford, to give him 11 targets. Um, and then just very briefly at the tight end position, like I said right off the top, everybody was injured who really uh, probably mattered at the tight end position. But there were a few guys who, if you were in a pinch, you were able to start. Those being Hayden Hurst, Irv Smith, Zach Ertz, and Luke Musgrave. So I'm going to pause there and get your thoughts on the wide receiver and tight end positions. And then let's real quickly just prioritize all of these guys that we just named in the ads. Yeah, I think the, so a wide receiver, I think Josh Reynolds, I think Zay Jones, those guys are going to be startable. Kendrick Bourne obviously is going to be very startable. Puka Nakua though is the only guy who really moves the needle for me. And I think he's probably going to be a pretty high priority in most leagues so i think you're probably going to have to plan on around 30 percent to get him um am i willing to go that high i mean it kind of depends on what my wide receivers are looking like but i mean the way you and i approach the wide receiver position i'm probably not going to bid enough to get puka nakua but i'm still going to take a shot uh tight end luke musgrave is kind of the upside guy uh, who looks like he's got a solid enough role to be an every week starter for you. The rest of these guys are kind of streaming type of options. I think um, it's going to be a little bit matchup dependent. They're in offenses where, you know, particularly Hurst and Ertz, they both have quarterbacks who are going to lean pretty heavily on the tight end position, but I'm still putting pretty minimal bids on those guys. Uh, just as as potential streamers for me. I could see Puka Nakua in, um, especially in Dynasty Leagues, if if he is on the waiver wire, going for more than 50% of your total yeah. fab because those profiles, those production metrics, like that just doesn't show up very much in a Dynasty League. And so I'm willing to spend... 55 to 60% of my fab if he is out there on a waiver wire in a shallow dynasty league in redraft. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think somewhere around 30% is about as high as I can go. I will say um, I did start him this week in a couple of leagues. That's, that's how I play the wide receiver position is the last wide receiver spot that I have to start is typically somebody who most people would turn their nose up at. And every now and then you hit gold with Puka. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in uh, in dynasty leagues, I think that he would be the top priority. In uh, uh, in redraft leagues, I for one thing, I'm keeping an eye on Aaron Rodgers, keep an eye on that on that ankle of his. Uh, if Zach Wilson is going to be a, a a starter for multiple weeks, uh, I think he's the number one priority. And I think if you're hurting at quarterback. 
you know, I think you're going pretty heavy after Zach Wilson. Like, I think that's a 50% type of bid. Uh, and then from there, for me, it's running backs. Um, I think Kyrie, uh, Kyron Williams followed by Ty J Spears are going to be by my top priorities. Uh, and those are also going to be guys in the neighborhood of 25 to 30%. Uh, and I think that probably gets them. I think I'm just staying away from Baltimore. I, it's, I just don't have enough of a read on that one between those two. Like I'll put some minimum bids. I'll kind of price and force, um, you know, just take a shot just in case. But that one, yeah, I mean, you almost have to get both of them. Right. And I, that's not something that we necessarily want to do. Um, and I mean, that committee could actually break down that way as well. Uh, I'll also keep an eye on Austin Eckler though. Josh Kelly, if he's going to start for even a week, um, he's worth at least a 10 to 15% bid, I would think. Um, and I think that might get him. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I'm prioritizing those guys, um, next week, this week. So some guys you can stash now and uh get them cheap so that next week when we're talking about 50 percent bids 30 percent bids whatever to get this guy you don't have to worry about that because he's already on your roster at quarterback Gardner Minshew of Indianapolis uh Anthony Richardson already dealing with an injury kind of got injured twice in that game so um Minshew did come in in fact and uh there's a good chance that he's a multi-week starter as well and even if he's not Man, I think that's one of those situations where you want to handcuff Anthony Richardson because it looks like he's he just runs so hard. Like I know that he's a big dude, but like he's running into big dudes as well. It's just not sustainable. Mitch Trubisky is on next week, this week for us, just because Kenny Pickett looks awful. Like he's just one of the quite possibly the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. And I, it feels like a matter of time before they switch to Mitchell Trubisky. And then Taylor Hineke, for a similar reason, Desmond Howard, Desmond Ritter. Uh, if, if Man, Desmond Howard, that's a throwback. Uh, <laughs> Desmond Ritter. If, so if, if Kenny Pickett isn't the worst starter in the NFL right now, well, Josh Dobbs is the worst starter. Uh, number two, it's either Kenny Pickett or it's Desmond Ritter. So, so we're kind of keeping an eye on the backup Taylor Hineke, uh, just in case they make a change there as well. Running back Zach Moss seems to now that he's uh, should be healthy. He might be the only healthy back for the Indian Indianapolis Colts at the moment with both. Uh, with Evan Hull injured, I, it, it, Deion Jackson is still healthy, but man, he looked like crap. <laughs> he was, he had a rough game, something like 13, 14, uh, 13 yards on 14 carries, something like that. That like, that's, that's just not even something that they're going to continue to entertain. Uh, Leonard Fournette and Kareem Hunt, and you put this on the list, but I really like this. Now could be the time to start thinking about these guys, particularly Hunt for me, but Fournette as well. Uh, the Not on rosters, but now we're starting to see some injuries st stack up a little bit. Miami, with that crazy depth at running back, they were basically down to Raheem Mostert with 
uh, Salvin Ahmed giving him a little bit of a breather, and then obviously Baltimore. Uh, so there, we're starting to see some jobs open up. They could be filled by some veteran guys. Jerome Ford with Kareem, uh, kind of taking on the Kareem Hunt role for Cleveland. Very heavy on the passing downs. And then also once the, the game was well in hand, uh, he was kind of your garbage time closer type of guy. Uh, wide receivers, Kayshawn Butte, very sneaky workload. 55 snaps. 43 routes run, which was the second most behind Kendrick Bourne for Patriots wide receivers. He didn't catch a pass, so nobody sees this coming, but he's on the field an awful lot for the New England Patriots. Jonathan Mingo, same thing, starter usage. Uh, he he got 67 snaps, 39 routes, five targets, all in line with the starters, Adam Thielen and Terrace Marshall. Jaden Reed, 22 uh, slots out of the snaps out of the slot. Uh, 24 for everybody else on that team. He's pretty solidly going to be the slot receiver for Green Bay. And when Christian Watson comes back healthy uh, and him and Romeo Dubs are kind of cannibalizing one another, Jaden Reed really kind of rises to the top of that one. And then Tutu Atwell had a very similar game to Puka Nakua, just a lot quieter. Um, And, you know, I don't know that you're going to see Cooper Cup anytime soon. So we know that he's on the shelf for at least three more games. Um, This offense looks like it's going to be pretty similar to what we saw against Seattle this weekend. Tight ends, Darnold Parham for the Chargers. Really wanted to see more from Gerald Everett, but they are they're taking a little bit more of a committee approach. And I think Parham, you're gonna see him between the size and the speed start to separate from Gerald Everett. Durham Smythe, the starter for Miami, uh second most targets um on the team for the week, very heavily involved in a pass heavy offense. And then Tegan Quatoriano, I he did almost nothing. <laughs> he, he he got one target, but he caught it for 11 yards, uh, which was more than the starter Dalton Schultz got in his four targets. So it's just a matter of time. I'm just going to keep mentioning Tegan Quatoriano until this actually happens. That's basically what we're doing. <laughs> no, I like all of these. Um, and when you were... Listing all these names, I thought $0 bid, $0 bid. You can pick them up after waivers run. These are players that should cost you nothing that are very likely to be waiver claims the next week, right? Next week, this week. Yep. And you talked about this in the off season. You want to build your roster such that two weeks from now, four weeks from now, you're going to have options. It's very important from a week to week basis that you prioritize your starting lineup. But once you get through the starting 10 or 12 or eight or however many players you're starting, it's not a bad idea to dedicate one or two spots to these next week, this week players. Yep, absolutely. Let's get into uh, some of our, uh, our, our weekly, um, uh, weekly roster management beyond the waivers. And we're going to start with some players you can drop to make some room for some of those waiver ads. Yeah. And my first player is nobody. Um, As counterintuitive as that may sound. Who's your second player? (laughs) (laughs) 
The reason I did not choose anybody this week is because now is not the time to panic drop. The top 75% of your roster you committed to when you drafted these players, when you got these players in free agency, do not panic drop one of those top three, three quarter players just because they didn't produce in week one. Hold if you can just for one more week until we get a little more clarity on some of these guys. Because last year, if you went back to week one, you would be stunned at the uh, top 12 and 24 performers. So just give it a week for most of your guys. If you ran into a J.K. Dobbins injury or if you've got someone that was a healthy scratch, okay, that's somebody that you can drop. But try to avoid any of these unnecessary drops that you're going to be regretting and blowing fab on next week. Who'd you have yep. that super flex dude? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that you, what, what you're saying is, is absolutely right. Totally fair. Zach Wilson throws an interception. Cool. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's your top priority on waivers. There you go. Uh, <laughs> anyways. Yeah. It's uh, uh, I, I, I think that you're right. I do think there though, there are two players you can drop Cordero Patterson, running back for Atlanta, wasn't active this week, still dealing with an injury, but he's coming back to a backfield that's dominated by Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier. And that includes passing downs. Like their, their primary passing down back right now is Bijan Robinson, Tyler Algier kind of taking early down and, and goal line stuff. There's nothing left for Cordero Patterson. And then Chase Claypool, who he got two targets and it didn't seem like he particularly even wanted that. Like he didn't seem like he wanted to be playing football and uh, we can't control that, but we can certainly control whether or not he's playing football for fantasy purposes by just dumping him and clearing some space, getting away from one of those, those wide receiver landmines. Um, that have been has been plaguing us for way too long now. Some players you can fade, and it's kind of the same thing at wide receiver. That's kind of the protocol here, as I mentioned, Romeo Dubs. He got the two tight ends. I think people are going to rush to waivers to try and get him if he's available in you know shallower leagues, in uh, uh, redraft leagues. Certainly, they're going to see those two touchdowns. And they're going to be pretty enthralled by that. Um, four receptions, five targets, 26 yards. Um, and he ends up with two touchdowns on those four catches. Uh, and that's with Christian Watson out. Now, to be fair, Romeo Dubs also battling an injury. Um, limited his availability this week. Really limited his, his playing time and his snap count. But you're getting Christian Watson back. And like I said earlier, I think those two really kind of cannibalize one another. It's going to be really hard to pick your spots of when Romeo dubs is going to be startable. Jordan Addison. Now let me clarify something here. I'm not saying to, to, I'm not saying to drop Jordan Addison. If you already have him, I'm just saying, and in dynasty, I would, I would absolutely uh, buy into Jordan Addison long-term. But right now, I kind of think, in particular in redraft leagues, I think that you're probably going to see a lot of people jumping on that hype train after that long touchdown. But he was out-snapped and out-routed by K.J. Osborne. 
Uh, he just happened to get that one long touchdown, which made uh, accounted for more than half of his receiving yards for the day, plus the touchdown, of course. It made his fantasy day. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking for something a little bit more sticky than a splash play like that. I'm also fading Melvin Gordon. We're only supposed to do two, but I just have to point out the Melvin Gordon is promoted from the practice squad for the Baltimore Ravens, but he's still effing horrible. <laughs> there's <laughs> stay away, stay away. Like people are kind of are thinking that there's kind of a Kenyon Drake from last year situation, which wasn't I like he gave you a couple good weeks when there was nobody else available, but it, it's still, it, it still wasn't particularly <laughs> beneficial to have Kenyon Drake on your roster. Kenyon Drake is a far better player at this point than Melvin Gordon. So just absolutely no interest in Melvin Gordon whatsoever. Yeah, life is too good to roster Melvin Gordon in week two <laughs> of the 2023 season. You've got you've got better options. You've got better things to do with your time. And Take honestly, care of your mentals. Fade Melvin yeah, Gordon. You respect yourself too much to roster him in week two. <laughs> wait, wait till week six or seven when we're telling you to pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had two fades. Um, and one of them is probably not going to come as any surprise. It's George Pickens. I'm not saying to cut him either, but this guy ran more routes than any other wide receiver in the entire NFL in week one. He had a 0.78 yards per route run, which was 56 out of all qualifying wide receivers. That is just terrible. He's out there getting exercise and every now and then he makes an awesome catch and it's really cool to watch. I root for the guy as like a professional football player but not as a fantasy asset. He is simply too inefficient to be somebody who is valued the way that he is. Allen Robinson may outproduce him on the season, given where they're both at right now. I mean, they had every opportunity to hyper-target George Pickens with Deontay Johnson out with, a, I believe it was a hamstring injury. And still, he had a terrible yards per route run. So He's someone I'm strongly fading. Find another believer and get George Pickens on their roster instead of yours. The second one I want to fade feels a bit popular as well, um, and that's Rashad White, simply because he's getting volume, but he's not doing anything with it. He had 17 carries. He was out in, uh, in the route tree 20 times in the game, and still he only put up 39 yards rushing, and he had two catches. That's simply not enough. And we, we've been touting the Sean Tucker train, and I think it's coming down the tracks. I think it's just a matter of time before Rashad White is sitting on the bench in Tampa Bay. What do you think of those two? Yeah, fully agree. How about some players we can buy and or hold? Yeah, uh, I want to buy an old guy. Yeah. Um, this is, so, and I did want to point out real quick, this is where we're, we generally kind of focus on dynasty and uh you know particularly contenders in dynasty so I, I wanted to point that out because I, it's relevant with this first name um <laughs> that he's still he's still a buy even in a dynasty league yeah dynasty redraft whatever i want deandre hopkins on my team for 2023 
he led the entire NFL in first read targets, which is a stat. It's an advanced receiving stat by Fantasy Points Data that has this amazing suite of stats. And the first read targets are super indicative of elite production. And he was the best in the entire NFL in week one. Will he be the, the best on the entire season? That's yet to be determined. But this is the information that we have in front of us. And I don't think it's overreacting to say he's someone who is undervalued right now. Um, I've seen trades where he can be had for two seconds in a dynasty league. And I will take that all day long because you can plug him in as a low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two for as many weeks as he's healthy. The other uh, buy that I want to bring out to the, to the super friends this week is someone I mentioned last week as a buy. It's Matt Stafford. Last week, I said, we're going to have clarity pretty quickly whether or not he still has it. He Man, was, he looked good. He's, he he's still awesome. <laughs> yeah. He was third in the NFL in EPA per play. So his expected points added. And to me, yes, there is a potential uh, ticking time bomb component to this. But you know what? This is a weekly undertaking right now. And he looks like an elite producer. Not only that, Sean McVay has always been amazing at getting people alone in space. I don't know how it is that he draws up these plays that, that it works like that. But And you've got playmakers to get the ball to in space. It's it's just a, a quite possibly the best situation Matthew Stafford has ever had, and that includes the Super Bowl season with Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. Just the speed on the field. Uh, is just is is unreal. Uh, I'm buying or and or holding Travis Etienne. He outsnapped Tank Bigsby 56 to 15. He out route uh, Tank Bigsby 30 to 5, 30 to 5, and then 18 carries to Bigsby's seven carries. Anybody who was just convinced to take Tank Bigsby has taken over that backfield, he's got a mountain to climb to catch up to Travis Etienne uh, just in terms of usage alone, not, not even to mention the uh, effectiveness of Travis Etienne. And then Chigakonkwo had a, just a, a, just goose egged this week, but played 52 snaps, ran 30 routes. He only comes off the field. The only reason he didn't play a hundred percent of snaps is he comes off the field on obvious running situations. You know, the second and short or uh, or, you know, goal line situation, goal to go situations from the one like that's the only time Chigakonkwa comes off the field. They have guys that they feel like are better blockers, but they know that the pass offense is better with Chig on the field. He's going to start to see a lot more volume. Super friends, super flex dude here to talk to you about Ticketmaster. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you a 360-degree preview of your section to make sure you have the best view of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change... Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. 
And you can even customize your Ticketmaster app to represent your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. Some players you can sell. I'm selling Javante Williams. He looked he looked good, but man, it was a dead even split with Samaj P. Ryan this week. And I think they're worried about the knee. I think Samaj P. Ryan looked uh, very good as well. He had a couple long runs that he broke off, um, broke some tackles. So I don't think that's going away. I think that committee's there to there to stay until one of those guys gets uh, gets injured. And then Christian Kirk um, playing primarily. He's he he played uh, thirty seven of his forty three snaps in eleven personnel. So and they're not going eleven very often. So like, he's he's just their slot guy. And I just don't know that there's enough, there are going to be enough footballs to go around for Christian Kirk to be an obvious starter for you at any point. I like both of those. I'm going to ask you a follow-up, though. What would you be selling Javante Williams for? Javante, I kind of think you can probably get for uh, certainly a, a little bit more stable running back. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you could get, uh, man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it takes probably Javante plus a little bit to get to Travis Etienne, for instance. Um, I think, man, I don't know. Like, what about you? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Um, I'm wondering, Yeah, well, I'm wondering with Eckler having that um, minor injury, if you couldn't package Javante with a piece to get somebody who's at the very top who's going to help you this year. Running back is such a year-to-year proposition, and maybe it's me being spooked by Dobbins this week, but I want to have a running back that I can put in my lineup if I'm going to invest premium capital who's going to make a market difference right away, and I'll figure out next year then. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking at some of the perhaps older guys who have an opportunity to really make a difference. Um, Saquon didn't do a whole lot this week. I'd ask, you know, if somebody wanted to roll the clock back a few years and take this Javante Williams, who's only going to get better. Um, that would be my narrative and get one of these old guys who could maybe uh, help me win a championship this year. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I, I, I think that you can get, you know, kind of some some useful guys like Puka Nakua. I think you could probably get him plus something pretty easily. Kyron Williams plus something. Tajay Spears plus a lot. <laughs> like, yeah. there are kind of a lot of ways to, uh, to, uh, to split up his perceived value into multiple startable players. Yeah, it's something to consider. And you named one of my cells right there, and that is... Puka Nakua. I'm not saying to sell for pennies. Mm-hmm. I am saying to have the conversation with 11 other league mates because yeah. the hype on him is real and it may be justified. I would love to sell at perhaps 80% of his value um, as it may be in a few weeks and have folks laughing at me that I sold low, but taking all of the risk out that he's going to turn into a pumpkin next week or in a few weeks if uh, Cooper Cup returns or if there's another flavor of the day in that offense. 
So I was looking at um, the trade finder and it is pretty sparse still. Um, but my question to you, John, is would a 24 second round pick from a middle tier team do it for you to sell Puka Nakua? No, not for me. Um, I, I think at this point, I mean, I, so it, it depends a little bit on how willing are you to be wrong about Puka Nakua and just kind of knowing, you know, like what it, what it looks like when you get a rookie wide receiver breakout in year one, kind of, you know, the value increase that you get, the production increase that you get kind of long-term, um, you know, it like kind of chasing, you know, last year's Chris Olave, for instance. Um, is that something that you're willing to, to get out on and know that you missed that in hindsight, you know? Yeah. And man, that's, for me, it, as much as I'm not a big fan of trying to uh, trying to chase wide receivers, I mean, a big part of the way we can achieve kind of the the super flex flywheel and you know the the just the roster build that you and I really kind of look for at wide receiver, a big part of it is to get in on these guys early when they do hit. So I think Puka Nakua is a guy that I'm. It, like it would take quite a bit for me to move off of him just because of what he represents if he's able to continue this. Yeah. And you have the benefit of patience, right? There's a few days yeah. to let the market solidify a little bit. And I'm interested to see where it goes. The next guy I want to sell is certainly a sell low. And that's Desmond Ritter. Sometimes mm -hmm. you've just seen enough. Yep. And it's not even his fault necessarily, but I need to get out and get into almost anything else that I can for Desmond Ritter, <laughs> I would be willing to move to the absolute dredges of the quarterback position, but more likely I would like to package him um, to get another running back or a wide receiver, or even like a Chigaconquo, like you were saying, like I am so done with Desmond Ritter. I want to put him on somebody else's roster because it's going to not only not help them, it's going to hurt your league mate if they're rostering Desmond Ritter, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's also like, it's just a matter of time before, you know, Arthur Smith and, and the blanks and, you know, that front office says, all right, we're paying, you know, we're paying way too much for Drake London and Kyle Pitts to not see them touch the ball, you yeah. know? <laughs> Uh, Drake London didn't even get a target. Maybe he got one target. He didn't get it. He certainly didn't get any receptions. Kyle Pitts, I believe, ended up with three targets. Like, that's not something that they're going to continue to allow. They would make some exceptions for, you know, poor play. Um, but when you're not involving the guys that they drafted for you to involve, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's a travesty what's happening in Atlanta. But let's move on to next year, this year, because I think we've got three players that are really interesting to me. And I'm going to start off with Deontay Johnson. When he came up limp grabbing his leg um, in week one, it looked like a pretty severe leg strain. And I'm wondering if IR is an option for Deontay Johnson. And whenever I have an opportunity to buy a wide receiver who is nearly guaranteed 140 targets over the course of a year when healthy, 
I just, I jump at that possibility, um, especially someone so devalued as Deontay Johnson. The other guy I wanted to bring up is someone who severely underperformed, um, a rookie quarterback who had perhaps the best protection in the NFL and took the longest to throw and was the most likely to check down. And that's Bryce Young. All of the advanced stats say that he is processing really, really slowly right now when reading the field. And that means he's almost certainly going to lead that passing offense to the very bottom of the NFL. I wouldn't be surprised if they were the 30th best passing offense this year, but I still believe in the guy. He's still got a ton of talent. It's just going to take a while for him to develop. And so if you are a rebuilding team, having an asset that is likely to appreciate early in the off season, once that uh, post rookie hype starts to roll again, when things are looking good and we have uh, workout videos and he's going to Florida to throw with wide receivers and they get another wide receiver in who's got a big name. I think that that's the perfect type of rebuilding piece who is not going to produce this year, but gain value throughout the course of the year and into the off season. Bryce Young, by the way, three carries for 17 yards, CJ Stroud, four carries for 20 yards. The people who are worried about these guys and their lack of running, that's something that we did not see from either of them in college, but it's been there. It's been there all along. So uh, you know, f- even for those who who feel like you need some kind of rushing floor from your fantasy quarterbacks, it's still there with both of these guys. Uh, I'm my uh, next year this year is Zay Flowers. Uh, just uh, man, game, it, it, and it's a buy high at this point. Like the after the game he just had, but he's just the clear wide receiver one in Baltimore as a rookie, as a, like in his first game as a pro. He was very, very obviously the number one wide receiver. So they're going to build this offense around him, especially now you lose J.K. Dobbins. I rest in peace because, man, like I I hate to say it because I've been a huge Dobbins fan all along. And we talked a lot about him this offseason as a potential breakout. Uh, But this is it's too much to overcome. ACL plus Achilles. Also, he's in a contract year. Somehow he's got to convince somebody to give him a new contract next year after all that. Like, it's too much, man. Um, and, it, like, at this point, should we, can we talk about Lamar Jackson for a minute? I don't want to <laughs> I, I waste too much of our time on this, but damn it. Like, you, you just saw what you got yesterday from Lamar Jackson. That's what he is. That is just like he made his day off of the rushing, the rushing touchdown, but can't even eclipse 200, 200 yards passing. Doesn't throw a touchdown like, uh, you know, the, the rushing 36 yards. But again, like he, he did get in the end zone. Um, it, it just, it's, Oh, maybe he didn't. I thought he did. I thought he ran for a touchdown, but it doesn't. It looks like he didn't. I'm wrong about that. I think he had so, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You got single digits from him. And you're going to get that more often than you're going to get, you know, 30, 20, 30 plus. Like it's just absolutely infuriating. 
at some point they've got to say, all right, this is not the guy that should have the ball in his hands in order for this to be an effective and efficient offense. We need the ball in the hands of Zay Flowers. We need some more weapons. You need the ball in the hands of Mark Andrews, obviously, when he's healthy. You need Isaiah Likely when he's not. You need Rashad Bateman a little bit more involved. You've, you still need to figure out a running game, even though it's not going to be Dobbins. But at the, at the end of the day, this needs to not run through Lamar Jackson quite so much. We need to figure out, can he stand in the pocket and throw the ball and get the ball to the actual weapons, the actual playmakers in this offense? Or do we need to move on to somebody who can? I think that that's the design of the offense. And we're very likely to have our answer by the end of the season, whether or not Lamar Jackson can run uh, a more traditional pro style offense in which he's distributing the ball to receivers as opposed to leveraging individual talent to, to pressure the defense. Mm-hmm. I will save all of the reasons why you're wrong about Lamar Jackson, <laughs> the fantasy player, um, for our grudge match that we're going to hopefully do midseason. If if we can hold off that long, it seems like we're going to have to do one <laughs> than that. Um, we'll see. He needs to, he needs to give you a, a quarterback one type of game at least once between now and then, or else there's just... There's not going to be enough meat on the bone for us. <laughs> if he keeps scoring single digits, yeah, like we're going to have a tough time having that conversation. Yeah, totally. But, I mean, we've talked about a bunch of players um, and to some degree what we would spend to acquire them. But I want to take a at least the last few minutes of our time this week to talk with the super friends about strategy if we could. And let's talk about our leagues and what just happened um, in week one. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Let's hear it. Some strategic thinking and planning here. Yeah. This is going to be a new addition, hopefully weekly to the show, if we can uh, shut our mouths and get through the players in in fast enough fashion. Um, So in your league, you're very likely to have had a head-to-head matchup, right? I think that's probably 99% of fantasy leagues. You're playing one of your 11 other opponents. And while that is super meaningful because you get a win or a loss, that does not necessarily tell the story of your fantasy team, right? So if you're 0-1 or you're 1-0, there are other things that are probably going to be more indicative of future success beyond just a head-to-head matchup. And so what I want to encourage the super friends to do is take a look at uh, what is called all play. And so that measures your starting lineup against everybody else in the league. And it gives you a percentage. It looks almost like a baseball hitters percentage, right? So if you have a top six all play, that means you would have beaten more than half the teams in your league. That is, to me, indicative of you being a likely strong team. The other metric I want you to take a look at is potential points. So I play in MFL leagues. I'm not sure if this is on other platforms. But what the potential points system does is it takes everybody's best ball roster. So who would score the most in each of your starting spots of your rostered players and everyone else's? And so that gives you the peak potential performance of your entire starting lineup and your leagues. And that, to me, is the most important metric 
of your potential success um, because it shows you if you start everybody correctly, which most of us can't do every single week because certain players hit and miss, especially due to touchdown variance. But it gives you an idea of what you can do at the top of your game, at the top of your roster's game. And this isn't just a feel-good thing. So when you look at your um, points scored, that has a R squared of 0.7. And that's just a numbers but thing uh, telling <laughs> you that that relates to 70% of the factors of whether or not you win in a given week throughout all of your leagues every single week is just the number of points that you would score in your all-play record. Um, additionally, if you extrapolate it out, that can account for an additional 25% when you take out the head-to-head -head matchups. So I think that looking at potential points in all play is super helpful um, for people like me who want to understand beyond the head-to-head -head matchup uh, how good their team really is in week one. Um, the other thing I want to mention is if you play in a 14-week season, let's say, and then you have the playoffs after for three or four weeks, um, you would think that your first week um, would be one divided by 14, 7% um, of the predictive outcome of whether or not you're going to make the playoffs. But that's actually not true. The early reveal is actually significantly more uh, impactful. So your week one outcome, whether or not you won this week, tells about 17% of the story of whether or not you are going to be a top six team this year. Whoa. And so can you glean all that just from week one? Yeah. Or do we need, do we need a larger sample size? You can, you can already tell, huh? Yeah. And the first three weeks are by far the most impactful. You have something like 45% of the story told based on how many points you have scored your head to head record and your potential points. So how much of this is so like, that's also what we're kind of doing there is we're weighting the bench as well. Right. So mm -hmm. we're just saying like, it's not that you have bad players. It's just that you are bad at setting your lineup, <laughs> which, which by the way, like, it, you know, kind of to your point, as far as, uh, you know, overreacting to week one, I mean, that's the hardest one to set the lineups. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. we have the least information that we're going to have all season. So yeah, getting those lineups wrong in week one is just kind of uh, almost a given, you know, and I'll be honest with you, Tommy. And I don't know if this, if, if this fits in, like this might not be sci scientific enough. This might be a number, another one of my like kind of superstition type of things. I almost don't like to get it super, super right and win week one by like a huge margin uh, just because like that, it, it lulls people into a false sense of security and feeling like, Oh, th so this, this is the perfect lineup for the entire season. You know, I need to stick with this. And then when somebody has a down week next week that, you know, it, let, let's stick with Puka Nakua just out of, just kind of hypothetically, just as our example here, maybe that was a one week thing for him, you know, what happens and then, but the problem is if he goose eggs you in week two, 
you're still going to go back to week one, what he did in week one, and you're going to say, oh, that's who he actually is, not what he was in week two. You know, so like, and conversely, I think that, you know, it, I, I mean, I think that you're a lot more likely to kind of think about the guys who, who didn't play well. You know, T. Higgins, Drake London, like you're going to think about those guys and you're going to wonder, like, is this is this somebody that I should just, you know, automatically start every single week? Because I just saw that there's no there isn't a floor, you know? Yeah, I mean, here's here's my thought on it as it relates to all those numbers that I just spewed out. And we'll use Puka Nakua as an example. So Puka Nakua just went for something like 21 points in your league, right? He was a top five wide receiver, very likely. He hit. And if you construct your roster very lean at the wide receiver position, there's a decent chance he was in there. If not, you kept him away from somebody else, right? Is he likely to get 21 points ever again for the rest of the year? I don't know. Probably not. I wouldn't bet on almost any receiver getting 21 points in any given week. What I want to do is take that high watermark and move it off of my team and constantly be churning the bottom because I don't want a stagnant roster. I want to continuously be finding the next thing that has a 1% better opportunity of hitting. And by moving Puka Nakua for a second, by selling low, I've taken that value and I've tucked it in a little cubby for a rainy day. And I'm back on the hunt for another player. I've built a little bit of desperation almost into my roster decisions. I like that. I think that it's that type of um, seeking mentality that keeps your roster good and churning and young and profitable and scoring points. Absolutely. I love that. Like we talk about this. I've, I've talked about this for years on the super show. Like how often do you see a team just go wire to wire and just be completely dominant all season and go on to win the championship? How often does that actually happen? And maybe this is anecdotal. It feels like that this is what actually happens. So more times than not, it's the teams that have been trying to figure it out all season and finally got the formula just in time to sneak into the playoffs with the six seed, five seed, they go on to win the championship, you know, because they're used to, they've been making lineup decisions. They've been making good trades. They've been keeping up with waivers. They've been, you know, listening to the standard, the standard operating procedures and using those, executing those to perfection. And they finally just kind of curated this lineup, this, this roster, and they're also, again, they're just kind of used to setting the lineups. They're used to, uh, you know, using process, using sound process to set the lineups, not just set it and forget it. Those are the teams that go on to win the championship. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, starting to think about that now and starting to think about, all right, so ha- like, how do, how do we refine that, that process? If you don't make these types of decisions, if we have a 70 to 95% correlation to success based on your total points and your potential points, your all play and your potential points. You don't have the opportunity to screw up a lineup decision. I want to have the opportunity to mess up a lineup decision that would have bumped my points higher. And I can't Mm -hmm. do that 
unless I'm constantly churning through the bottom third of my roster. You just have to, if you want to have access to these opportunities to look like an idiot, because you didn't start Puka Nakua, you know? We all love having him on our bench. Imagine having him in your starting lineup. Yeah. So what? It, just kind of hypothetically, I don't think this is going to be the case very often, if at all, but I think there's a potential there. So you using this formula, you kind of find out that you nailed the lineup <laughs> in week one, and you still lost. You're still kind of bottom half of the league in scoring. Uh, and that's with just kind of your your optimal lineup. Yeah. That's that's kind of what happened. How aggressive are you willing to get mm-hmm. uh, at starting to rebuild that? So that's a fantastic question. So in each week, you need to have a certain number of points, and that's based on your lineup settings, your scoring settings. But for a lot of like... I don't know, one QB start nines or super flex start nines or tens. It's around 140 to 170 points based on your scoring settings. And so if you just like carry that through for 14 weeks to make the playoffs, you know how many points you need to have to be a top six team, right? To be a team sort of on that uh, five, six, seven ranking to give yourself the opportunity to make the playoffs and hopefully make that run that you just referred to. And so if I'm, you know, estimating that I need 150 points and I'm at 130, I have, you know, two directions to go. I can try to find ways to optimize my roster and to add some points if I, if I possibly can in a trade or through waivers or to start better players or be more accurate or find better resources there, or you can go the exact opposite direction, right? You can see what everyone is scoring in your league and you can race to the absolute bottom, which I hate doing because I think too many people do that. I think the bottom third of the league is considering that. And I want to hang around as long as possible because the access to those 20 points that I may need only becomes greater as injuries accrue and only becomes greater as more uh, of my league mates give up. And so I want to just try to find ways to get a few more points Um, And to get a slightly higher all play winning percentage, because I know that if I stick with it, eventually the results are going to come, but it's very much a math equation. Yeah. We need to, we might need to do kind of a, an auxiliary episode on tanking and uh, um, you know, making that decision because I, so I know that you and I disagree on rebuilding tanking, things like that. Um, what I will say is, you know, kind of to your point, the later you do it, the harder it's going to be to actually accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. So if you haven't already committed to that, uh, in a dynasty league, I, I think that you're probably too late because somebody already has committed to just kind of guiding it all the way to the very bottom. So it's going to be, it's going to be hard to do. Um, but what I wonder is, so what, like what, what have you thought kind of about a path to, uh, to making that correction, you know, mm-hmm. for a team that's, that's feeling like, man, this is, 
this is kind of the like I'm not anywhere near that point threshold. Um, and it feels like, you know, the the way to go would be to just just kind of tank and rebuild at this point. Um, but you're so you're saying though that there there's there is a way to rebuild that. Um, even if you started off with low, you know, all all play scoring, um, there's kind of a way to rebuild that. Like, have you thought about the like kind of what are the positions um, that you can target the most to to kind of gain those margins that eventually lead to that rebuild? Yeah, the cheapest one um, is tight end because the top is honestly undervalued. Um, as mm. crazy as that may sound, but if you look at the warp grass if you look at some of the the movers and shakers at all play you have such a distinct advantage over more than six people um that it matters even more in this type of calculation so i i love attacking the very top of the tight end position even if i'm planning a rebuild there's no reason um that mark andrews can't help you in that because a lot of people choose to rebuild with a sledgehammer when they need a scalpel right? Yeah. You just need to, to change one or two positions and you've got something that is somewhere in the middle. And if you can be diligent about working through the bottom third of your roster, like we're saying, you can almost gain another win uh, throughout the course of the season just by outworking your league mates. All of a sudden you're in a point where you are a six seed. Um, and I am going to be helping one of the super friends here, hopefully later this week, um, who has a rebuild project. And they intend to tank this year. Um, and we're going to have the conversation about whether or not that's wise and what the cost is of doing that and some of the benefits as well. Um, John, you have an open invitation as well, because I would love to hear your perspective, which is just so fundamentally different than mine based on our off-air conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty interesting. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 like I generally agree that a rebuild can happen very quickly. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it all comes back to, you know, this is, this is kind of the driving force behind QBX behind the Superflex flywheel, um, and behind so much of certainly my analysis. And I hear it a lot in your analysis as well. It's just kind of thinking about the way these, the different positions behave. Yeah. Um, there, there are ways to get there, you know, like wide receiver, it's not that you need Justin Jefferson. It's not that there's a buy window on for Jamar Chase that you need to take advantage of. Like that doesn't exist. It's just about, you know, kind of incremental uh, upgrades at wide receiver in, in Dynasty, particularly, you know, getting younger more than anything is kind of what you're looking for. But along the way, you you do end up picking up those points. But, you know, the more impactful moves for a quick rebuild, and like you said, it starts with tight end. That can be, a, you know, particularly if you don't have a super heavy premium. But we have a pretty unique opportunity right now because Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews didn't play this week. So, you know, they they probably are a little bit cheaper than usual. Uh but it's also, you know, kind of getting a read on on the running back position and also looking ahead, planning ahead, because a lot of these guys, we're going to start to see some of these starters go down with injuries. We're already we already lost Dobbins. Looks like we might lose Eckler. 
Um, we kind of lost acres to it, not to an injury, but to something like that already kind of happened. We're going to see more of this, you know, and you're going to see more guys kind of pop up that are going to be available to, uh, to you on waivers who end up making that difference. So like it, it, it all just kind of starts with understanding these positions and in Superflex, it really kind of comes back to quarterbacks and what does it take to get into uh, a you know a contending position at quarterback? Yeah. What does it take to get that position fixed? Um, and but if you can do that, your rebuild is done. And like, Rocky Patrell has been doing this for years, but Stafford, who we talked about earlier, is perfectly illustrating the point right i saw him traded for a 24 second in the trade finder yesterday this is a guy who could probably sit in your qb2 spot for the entire year you know barring some sort of injury which is certainly possible but that is a path to contending very very cheaply what wide receiver that is young and has quote unquote upside, would you be buying for a 24 second that could actually make an impact? If you look at their points scored over the course of the year versus Matt Stafford, you're going to be just stunned at how little impact a wide receiver who you can trade a second round pick for will give you. I mean, unless you're getting like a Brandon Cooks type player, someone who is perceived as too old or too fragile. But a lot of people, when they talk about a rebuild, they tend toward the Ryan McDowell strategy, which worked for a long time, um, in which he he coined the term productive struggle, right? Let's get a bunch of really young, upside, uh, stud-wide receivers, and let's sort of punt the first year and build out from there. And I just, I don't see that as being as viable a strategy anymore with the week-to-week value shifts that are so dramatic in the current dynasty space, there are micro economies that are much easier to capitalize on where you don't have to give up a year and you don't have to expose yourself to the risk of these truly terrible at best 50, 50 profiles of rookie first round wide receivers, much less a second or third rounder. I mean, I can't even imagine rostering some of these receivers that, that some of my league mates will like for every Puka Nakua who I grabbed for free, there are a thousand receivers um, who are never anything and who never hit a starting lineup. The only reason I grabbed Puka Nakua is because I needed a start this week, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you do with players of that tier, um, not invest in them, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, like you might be able to get like a Nico Collins right now for a second mm-hmm. round pick. But again, like there, there are a lot of ways to replace a player in that in that tier um especially long term so yeah I, I like it i like it a lot uh and and like i said well like you said you're you've got a an episode coming up where we're gonna kind of break down a a roster um of a super friend who dm'd you and uh um i'm really hoping to be there but either way i'm I'm going to be listening because it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting conversation. I think this plays just directly into that, oh, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, I can't wait for it. And we're going to try to incorporate this type of strategy talk at the end of each episode. 
A, because we can't help ourselves, but B, because there's a lot, there's a lot of actionability behind that conversation we just had at the very end. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Let's wrap this one up for the week so that they can go execute on those standard operating procedures. And uh, while you're at it, take a look at your all play, your whatever uh, potential points, whatever, whatever your platform uses. And uh, see how your roster actually stacks up long-term. I think that's a really, really cool idea. Uh, But in the meantime, we're going to wrap this up for the week. As we do that, ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF family of podcasts, mega feed, get access to all the great podcasts from DLF. And once you've subscribed to the Super Show, if you do us a huge favor and rate and review, those uh, ratings and especially the reviews really just help us get out to more people. We can involve more people in the conversation. And next thing you know, we're really drilling down to the topics that are the most useful to you, our super friends. You can get at us on Twitter X. He's at FFTommyB. I'm at SuperFlexDude. This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James Brankatulis. Thank you to DLF for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexible. Yeah.